angels. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Do you know how hard it is to read that and not sing it? I mean, it, it takes some practice and some real self-control to not drop into the melody when you're reading that. No, you don't want me to sing it. A man needs to know his limitations, and I am aware of mine. You don't want me to sing it. <laughs> Angels. They carried out an important role in the Christmas story. An angel of the Lord appeared to the priest Zechariah and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child in their old age. This child would be a special messenger of the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah who would turn many of the people of Israel back to the Lord and, quote, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That child was John the Baptist. An angel then appeared to the young woman Mary and said to her in Luke 1, 29, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 35, he said, The Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before the wedding, she was found to be pregnant already. And not wanting to expose her to public shame, Joseph was going to call off the wedding quietly. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph and told him to go ahead and take Mary to be his wife because what was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit. The angel said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Jesus was born, an angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds who were tending their flocks in the nearby fields and announced to them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, it says, a huge host of angels appeared, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. Angels would continue to be involved in the story of Jesus. An angel warned the Magi, the wise men from the east who had come to worship the Christ child to avoid King Herod on their return trip to their own land. An angel told Joseph to escape to Egypt with the baby Jesus and his mother because Herod was searching for the child to kill him. An angel would tell Joseph when it was safe to come back to Israel. An angel attended Jesus while he was out in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. 
An angel was with Jesus strengthening him as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was going to be crucified. An angel was present at the resurrection of Jesus, rolling back the stone from the tomb and greeting the women who had come to anoint the body. And it's certain that angels were present and active at many other times, not mentioned in the text. Angels intrigue us. What does the Bible say about angels? Well, angels are created beings like us, but they are also different from us. They're spiritual beings with the ability to appear physically. We tend to think of the spiritual as something less than the physical, but in reality, it's the other way around. Physical is less than spiritual. In other words, a spiritual being can cross over into the physical realm and assume physicality. A physical being, though, can't cross over into the spiritual realm in the same way. There are two classes of angels, fallen and unfallen. The fallen angels are commonly referred to as demons or devils. The term angels is used to refer to unfallen angels. The Bible indicates that there are lots and lots of angels. In Daniel's vision of the throne of God in Daniel 7, for example, it says he saw 10,000 times 10,000 of the heavenly hosts standing before the throne, worshiping and praising the Lord. That was figurative language being used to get across the huge multitude that was there. Angels are messengers and servants of God. The word angel means messenger. Although angels have free will, they are so completely aligned with God and committed to serving Him that when they have appeared to someone, they speak as though God is speaking Himself and they are His very mouthpiece. They don't stand as their own individual and deliver their own message. They speak of the Lord and His message. For example, you might remember when Joshua and the Israelites were near the city of Jericho preparing to go into battle. It says an angel suddenly stood in front of Joshua and drew his sword. And Joshua asked the angel, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel answered, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. The angel was saying, in effect, I'm not concerned with sides. I serve the Lord and carry out what He has commanded. God's will transcends sides. Some of the terms used in the Bible to refer to angels are army of the Lord, stars, heavenly hosts, sons of God, mighty ones, holy ones, chariots of God, strong ones, destroyers, ministers of death. Often when people encounter an angel in the Bible, they immediately fall at the angel's feet to worship. But the angel will quickly rebuke them, refusing to accept worship, directing all worship to the Lord. The usual reaction from people in the Bible when they encounter an angel is fear. Angels are fearsome beings with awesome power, unmatched by anything Humans have devised. In 2 Kings 19, for example, during the time of Hezekiah, one of the 
uh, one night, a single angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. A single angel has the ability to wipe out every human on this planet in a weekend. That's very different from the chubby, child-faced cherubs of modern pop mythology, isn't it? Well, considering all of this about angels, it's easy to see how people can develop superstitions about angels and even worship them. Recognizing what incredible beings angels are and the important roles that they have carried out for the Lord in human history, the writer of the book of Hebrews uses this to exalt Jesus Christ. You're probably wondering where I was going with all of this angel talk. We're going to Hebrews chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can flip there. In Hebrews 1, verses 4 through 14, the writer says, in effect, if you think angels are awesome, you ought to take a look at the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's superior to them in every way. And so, Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 4, he writes, So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The author compares the Son, Jesus Christ, and angels in this passage, and the first way that he compares the two to demonstrate the Son's superiority is to compare their names. The significance of names is important in the ancient world. In that time and culture, a person's name, it wasn't just a label, but it represented who the person was. As a demonstration of of that, in the Bible, we see the Lord Himself giving people new names at times, giving them a new definition of themselves, a new character, a new heritage, a new family, a, a new future, and a new hope. All of that was represented in them receiving a new name from Him. In the ancient religions, it was believed that if you knew the name of the God, and I'm saying God with a little g, or you knew the name of the spiritual entity, they believed it would give you power over it. Well, all of this is to say that the Son, Jesus Christ, having a name superior to the angels, is far more significant than what we might initially think. The, the author is comparing the very character, personhood, position, authority, power of the Son of God to that of angels. Angels are messengers of God. The Son is the author of the message and the message itself. Paul writes in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 5, he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. He quotes from Psalm 2, verse 7, in 2 Samuel seven fourteen. And the author is, is drawing our attention to the unique relationship between God the Father and the Son. 
They have a father-son relationship. No angel has a relationship like that with God. The, the angels are servants. The angels are the groundskeepers. They are the gardeners, the maids, the butlers, the errand runners, the delivery people. Jesus is the Son. There's no higher place of privilege with the Father than that of the Son. And again, when God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. So the author makes the point that not only does the Son have this unique, special Father-Son relationship with God, but He's also holds this special, exalted position as the firstborn. The firstborn son held a special position within the ancient Jewish family. The firstborn son received a larger inheritance than the other children, often double the amount of the other children. The father gave a special life blessing to the firstborn. The firstborn was the leader of the family in the father's absence. The firstborn was given an honored place at mealtimes and special family gatherings. The firstborn was the father's pride and joy. The firstborn was a symbol of the father's strength and vitality and God's blessing on his life. And the firstborn was considered Yahweh's portion. It says, let all God's angels worship him. The angels are commanded to worship the son. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved justice and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Verse 7 is a quotation from Psalm 104, which highlights the power and strength of the angels. The angels are like the wind, as swift as the wind, as all-encompassing as the wind. The angels are like flames of fire possessing the destructive power of fire. Now we have seen the awesome destructive power of the wind and the fire in the hurricanes, in the tornadoes, and the forest fires that have taken place in recent memory. The destruction that we have seen from these things, from wind and fire, it reminds us of how little and vulnerable we are, doesn't it? All of the things in this world that we cherish and have built and accumulated, they can be swept away in the blink of an eye by these hurricanes and tornadoes and fires. Angels possess that kind of overwhelming power. The sun, though, is greater. In verses 8 and 9, which is a quotation from Psalm 45, talks about the eternal nature of the sun over that of the angels. The angels, they may be impressive beings in comparison to humans, but there is a drop in the sea of eternity in comparison to the sun. The author also calls attention to the royalty of Jesus. His throne and the scepter of his kingdom are over all and will never end. He calls attention to the passion of Jesus, which is righteousness. Righteousness here it refers to the heart of the Father. The things that God cares about. 
love and justice and compassion and purity of heart. Verse 10 says, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. So the author, he quotes here from Psalm 102 to again point out the son as creator of the universe, the eternal nature of the Son, and His dominion over all creation. The Son is the Creator. It says the Son laid the very foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of His hands. In Colossians 1.16, For in Him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, even the angels, all things, have been created through Him and for Him. talks about the eternal nature of the Son. The most enduring thing in the physical universe is the universe itself. The heavens in the text here. But it's going to wear out and perish. The Son will roll it up like a worn out old garment. But the Son will always be. Hebrews 13, 6 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It talks about the dominion of the Son here. There, there is no place in all of existence that is outside of the Son's domain and authority. 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The right hand is the place of honor and privilege and blessing. And notice that the Son is sitting at the right hand. That's what royalty does. They sit. What the angels are doing in contrast is they are standing before the throne worshiping the Son. Servants are not allowed to sit in the presence of their Master. God the Father desires to subject and subdue all of Christ's enemies, making them a footstool for him. And the angels are servants who will help accomplish that. Finally, verse 14, he says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So he ends the passage with this rhetorical question about angels. Angels are indeed amazing beings who possess a place of dignity and honor, but their purpose is service. They are all ministering spirits or serving spirits. And in fact, it says here, the angels provide service to God's people, people who are being saved, those who will inherit salvation. Think about that. That's you and me. It should be pointed out that they get their service orders from the Lord, not us. We don't each get our own personal superhero angel to order around. I mean, that's not how it works. That'd be pretty dangerous if that were true, wouldn't it? Whew. Think about what a grand place the Lord has put 
us in, who are his children. He's commissioned his majestic heavenly angels to watch over us. But note this. Angels, they may serve us, but, and as amazing as that sounds, they can't save us. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus Christ can provide salvation to us. Only God the Son became a human being and experienced our pain and suffering and died on a cross for us to rescue us from our sin and death. I want to say in closing a couple of things. First, this is, if you've been intrigued by angels and found yourself yearning for what it is that they are pointing toward, I want to encourage you to take that full step of faith and come to Jesus Christ. He's the one the angels are pointing to and the one that they serve as their master. To choose to be fascinated with angels and not the sun, you're choosing a much lower thing to be fascinated with. At the birth of Jesus, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and announced, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Merry Christmas. The Savior has come, the Son of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And that is what we celebrate today and at Christmas. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, to save us. I pray, Lord, that this week as we uh, reflect on Christmas and, and we see all of the stuff that celebrates that and reminds us of what you've done, that we would be taken up with this idea of how precious we are to you. You love us so much, Lord. We, we thank you that you gave us your very son so that we can be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.